Great. Well, we're going to read now about the beginning of that gospel, and it's in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and depending on your translation, some will say Jesus Christ, others will say Jesus the Messiah, Christ and Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew form, and Messiah and Christ is the Greek form of the same word, which is the one anointed, the one sent by God. So Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through to 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attend him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, Proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Well, there is good news to proclaim. Uh, and we'll see today that it all begins and centers around the person of the Lord Jesus. Well, if you'd like to turn back to a Mark uh, chapter 1. It's great to be with you uh, today. The last time I saw you, it was on Zoom. Oh, on um, what, else? what did you have? Skype, I think you used, isn't it? Um, so it's actually good to be here uh, in person and to see you. Uh, I should thank you as well. I know as a church, you've been very generous towards our building project. Uh, so thank you so much for all your prayers and encouragements uh, in various ways. And it's lovely. Um, Martin prayed in the back room there for our sister churches. And this is what we are, isn't it, within the ACW, a sense of being uh, together, worshipping and praising the same Lord. Uh, so it's good to be back here today. I'm going to be looking at uh, just a few verses at the beginning uh, of Mark chapter 1. It's very appropriate, I think, at the beginning of a new year uh, to consider the beginnings. And here we see the beginning of the gospel. Now, 
again, in some translations, and we see this in the Welsh translation, you would read it and you would think that it is referring to the book, uh, the gospel, in the sense of this biography, the beginning of the gospel of Mark. But actually, a better translation and a better understanding, of course, is that he's referring to the good news, not the technical book that we are reading, but the gospel, the beginning of the good news, the beginning of this life-transforming message that affects our whole eternity. And to be reminded that the gospel begins with a person. Yes, there are declarations statements of faith. Yes, there are propositions. Yes, there are truths that we need to proclaim. There are things we need to say. There are things we need to be clear on. But in our emphasis, let us not forget that at the heart of our faith is a person, that our doctrines, our beliefs, the truths that we cling on to all find their meaning and their center in a person. And of course, we see here that the beginning of the gospel is about Jesus Christ. That he is the beginning, he is the center, he is the heart, he is the very purpose and meaning of this good news. And we've seen the meaning of Jesus' name already with the children. Jesus, meaning the Savior. He is the Christ, the Messiah. He's the one sent by God. So you could say he is God's Savior He is God's anointed one. And perhaps even more remarkably, he is God's son. So we see here why it is good news. It is all centered around the person of Jesus Christ. The one sent by God the Father to be the Savior. The one who is in the beginning with the Father. And who is one with the Father as his son. And he is the one who's come to this world. I'm sure we all want good news. I've started to switch off the news now. I remember when I was maybe in my 20s and 30s and interested in politics and news. I would never understand older people who would say, I've had enough, I've had my fill of the news, I'm not going to watch it anymore. I never understood that. I always thought, you know, you need to be aware of what's going on. But I'm starting to sympathise Because we switch on the news and it is disheartening and it is worrying and it is discouraging. We all want and need good news on a national level, on a personal level. We are seeking good news. Well, at the beginning of this new year, let us remind one another that this is the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ, God's saviour, sent by God the Son of God. Now, what's interesting, of course, is where Mark then goes. Matthew and Luke take us to the narrative of Jesus' birth and so on. John takes us to the beginning. Mark takes us somewhere different. Now, he doesn't take us to Jesus' birth, but neither does he take us to Jesus' life or his ministry, he doesn't actually go and begin in first century Jerusalem or Israel, but he actually goes to the Old Testament. He takes us back to two prophecies, Malachi in the fifth century BC, and then Isaiah in the seventh century BC. 
He takes us into the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, because he wants us to know who this person, Jesus, is. Before we can understand uh, the significance of his ministry and his work, his death and resurrection, we need to be reminded who he is and why he is such an important figure. The first thing I want to highlight here is that Jesus is the pinnacle and the center of history. So there are two prophecies here. The first prophecy takes us to Malachi. Uh, and it says here, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And then we have a second prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight paths for him. Now these are two prophecies from the Old Testament scriptures, hundreds of years before the coming of the Lord Jesus. A prophecy of a messenger. And I'm sure you're aware of the prophecy that one who would come uh, and he would speak and he would preach in the wilderness, in the desert regions, and he would prepare the way that he would be a warm-up act. Uh, he would be the one who would prepare the way, telling everyone that someone has arrived, someone more significant, someone greater has arrived. Two prophecies. Now, the prophecies regarding this saviour who had come, begin arguably in Genesis 1. When God declares, let there be light, this is a physical statement, light enters the world, and yet it's a hint of what God always does, that always God sends light into a dark world. There is a hint, even in the creation account, of what God does. He is light. And then certainly in Genesis 3, after the fall of Adam and Eve, there is that promise that one who will come will crush the serpent's head. That he will bring an end to death. He'll bring an end to sin. He'll bring an end to evil and the works of the devil. And that this Savior will come, an offspring of, of Eve, and he will bring an end to all evil. And so that's clearly the first prophecy in Genesis 3. And then during uh, the history of Israel, quite literally hundreds of prophecies over hundreds of years preparing the way, prophesying, announcing, promising one who would come, the Messiah, I don't know whether it's part of your family tradition. Uh, there are a few families in our church, and every Christmas they go and see Handel's Messiah. And they go, I think it's on a Sunday now, isn't it, in the Brangwyn Theatre. Uh, they used to go every Saturday night and watch it there, uh, the Messiah. And if you're aware of that uh, wonderful piece, you know, it takes us through all of the prophecies, um, the majority of the major prophecies in the Old Testament, quite literally hundreds of them. I read an article in the Independent newspaper a few weeks ago. Uh, the ten most powerful figures in history. Now, I was glad to see that Jesus was at least included in that list. Uh, aware of the Independent newspaper, I thought, well, he might not even be in that list. Uh, but they had included him, and I was pleased about that. And yet, when you think about it, 
Jesus should not be in such a list. You cannot compare Jesus with any other person who's ever lived. Jesus has literally divided history. People say, well, before common era and common era. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's still a reality. B.C. and A.D. Jesus divides history into two. He's at the heart of history. He is the most attested to figure from the ancient world. But also, he's the one who followed hundreds of years of prophecies. Which other influential figure in history has been prophesied in such a way? Whose birth and life and ministry has been prophesied and prepared for and foreshadowed over hundreds of years? So we see here two prophecies. And I'm sure Mark could have gone to others. But in the context of John the Baptist, he reminds us that the whole of this world has been arranged by God the Father. The whole of history has been governed by him so that at the correct time, a messenger would arrive. And the messenger would declare and announce to the world that after hundreds of years of waiting, he has come. Sometimes you're tempted to think, well, is Christianity just like any other religion? My son in school uh, was in an RE lesson uh, and they were asked to fill in a survey and one of the questions asked, uh, do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? And uh, we wrote down no, but the teacher gave him a cross. It was a, a wrong answer according to the teacher. You cannot compare Jesus to Muhammad, uh, to the Buddha. You are worshipping and praising the one who has come in the fullness of time, the eternal Son of God, prophesied by God the Father, prophesied in the Scriptures, and has come. And the second thing we see here then, well, is the person who has come. So who did John the Baptist prepare the way for? It's clear that the messenger prophesied by Malachi and Isaiah is John. John the Baptist. As you read on, you see that he dresses like a Baptist. Uh, a Baptist, maybe so. <laughs> he dresses like a, a prophet. Uh, so he's got a leather belt and camel's hair. He eats like a prophet. Uh, so there he is there with his um, locusts and wild honey. He behaves like a prophet in the wilderness, in the desert region. He has the message of a prophet, a message of repentance and forgiveness. He is the messenger. He is the final Old Testament prophet, in a sense. And he comes. And who does he prepare the way for? Who does he announce has come? The Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. This was the prophecy in Isaiah 40, verse 3, that John the Baptist, this messenger, would come and that every valley would be lifted and every mountain would be brought low and that this messenger would prepare and pave a highway. 
Now, if you go to the States or see it on TV, and you will see those flat, long roads, those wide roads, where you can see for miles and miles. And this was what John the Baptist did, essentially. He paved the highway. He flattened the roads. He removed the obstacles. He lifted the valley so that everyone could see. And he would point Look, he is here. He has arrived. Make it clear to everyone. Who has arrived? Well, it's the Lord. Now, when does this word Lord first appear in the scriptures? In Latin, it's Jehovah. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Lord, in the English versions, Aragloid in Welsh. When does that Word Yahweh first appear. Well, there is a famous event in Exodus 3 when Moses is called by God to be the deliverer of the people, to rescue them from Egypt. Uh, And we see, of course, that he goes up to Mount Horeb and he sees this burning bush. And as he looks to the burning bush, he hears a voice, and it is the voice of God. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he tells uh, Moses, you will set the people free. They are in captivity in Egypt. You will be their deliverer. And he asks God, the voice he hears, well, when I go to the people... And I tell them this. How should I describe you? What name should I give for the one who's spoken? And he replies in verses 13 and 14. This is what you shall say. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, he has sent you. And then, I'm sorry, verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you have to say to the Israelites. I am, has sent me to you. He gives a covenantal name for himself. God describes himself as, I am who I am. I am. Now in Hebrew, that construction would eventually lead to Yahweh. Translated in Latin as Jehovah. It's found its way into our English Bibles as Lord. So when you read that word Lord in Isaiah 40 that the messenger will come and prepare the way for the Lord, who is being prophesied? Yahweh. The messenger will prepare the way for Yahweh. God himself, the creator, the one who is self-existent, the one who does not rely on anyone, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the one who spoke so clearly as God himself to Moses. He is the one who will come. The messenger in the wilderness will prepare the way for Yahweh. And Yahweh is the one who spoke to Moses in the wilderness, uh, in the burning bush. And isn't that remarkable? So when John the Baptist then comes, hundreds of years later, Preparing the way. Who is he preparing the way for? Yahweh. 
Jesus comes. He is the one that John the Baptist pointed to. His own cousin. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Jehovah. He is the one who spoke to Moses in that burning bush. He is the creator. He is the everlasting one. He's the one who's self-reliant and self-existent. Isn't that remarkable? Who is Jesus then? Well, Jesus is not only the pinnacle and the center of history. He's not only the result of hundreds of years of prophecy, but he's actually Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty in human flesh. When people ask you, well, why do you go to church? Why do you sing those hymns? Why do you pray? Why is Jesus so important to you? What do you say? When someone might ask you, well, who is Jesus? What sort of answer do you give? Well, this is the answer given by Mark in his gospel. He is the one prophesied hundreds of years ago. The one who's come. The Lord God Almighty, the creator one. And he's appeared in human flesh. This is why it's such good news. We've had a line of kings in the Old Testament. We've had a line of prophecies throughout the, uh, prophets throughout the Old Testament. A line of priests. But they all fell short. But here is God's son, Yahweh, appearing as a man to rescue us, to deliver us. Isn't that wonderfully good news? Isn't that the message that will intrigue people? Isn't that the message that will surprise and inspire your friends and family? Tell them about this person who's come. Tell them about the glory of the creator appearing in human flesh. The third thing we see here is that Jesus is far more worthy than everyone and anything. So John the Baptist was quite a significant character. Jesus said of him that of all the people born to, to women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. He was the greatest of all of the prophets. Josephus, the historian, says more about John the Baptist, actually, than Jesus. The crowds flocked to hear him. Hundreds of people were baptized, presumably, by him. They left the cities to go into the wilderness, the desert regions, to hear him. He must have had charisma, he must have had power and authority, and people were drawn to him. A significant figure. He himself was prophesied hundreds of years previously. And so we're not to scoff at John the Baptist. A significant person himself. And yet he acknowledged that there was someone greater than he. He could have started a religious order himself. He could have started a new faith, a school or an university. He could have made a name for himself. But he said, no, there is someone more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals are not worthy to stoop down and untie. I'm sure it's true of Gosainan Rugby Club. Uh, when I was starting playing rugby, uh, just about 
old enough to be part of that tradition where you had to wash the togs and clean the togs of the older players. I'm sure those things don't happen anymore now because of political correctness, you know, and so on. But I had to wash and clean the togs uh, of uh, the older players. I was put in my place. You are 15, you are 16, and your job is to look after the older ones, make sure that they are comfortable. And then as you progress through the ranks, then they start to clean your togs. Now, of course, in this sort of tradition, the greatest act of humility was to clean someone's shoes, to uh, the sandals, to wash their feet. And John is saying here, I'm not even worthy to, uh, t- to untie the straps of his sandals. I'm not worthy even to do that. This task, which was the task of the slave, really, the lowest servant. And John the Baptist says, I'm not worthy even to untie his sandals. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will be the Son of God, and he will give you new life and spiritual life in your hearts and souls. He is far greater than I. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the Son of God. He is the Lord who's come. Who am I? I must decrease and he must increase. So he understood that there is someone far more worthy than he. You think of the Queen's funeral back in September. And the second part of that funeral was the service in Windsor Chapel. And there was something quite profound as the staff and the crown were removed from the coffin. As if to remind us, she is mortal. Ultimately, she was just a woman like you and I. And of course, she said herself that there was someone greater than her. The longest living monarch, the most famous woman in the world. And yet she said, along with billions of people, I have devoted my life to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. She knew that there was someone greater than her. You might have come across Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew was a significant man. Uh, He smuggled Bibles into the Soviet Union in the 1960s and 70s. Hundreds of people received scriptures and came to faith as a result. In later life, he went into the Middle East, into terrorist camps, uh, and he would speak to imams uh, and those who were training to be Islamist terrorists, and he would share the gospel with them. He founded Open Doors, which has done a remarkable work helping persecuted Christians across the world. And he was asked before he died, how do you describe yourself? And he said, I'm nothing more and nothing less than a disciple of Jesus Christ. He could have said, well, I'm God smuggler, but he didn't actually identify himself in that way. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and nothing more and nothing less. He knew that ultimately there was someone greater. And so I want to encourage you today, as you think of your life, what is the most important thing? Or what is the most important person in your life? What is the meaning and the purpose of your life? You think of the way that you love your wife or your husband, the way you love your children the way you do your work, the way you care for others in the community. 
What is the ultimate reason why you are doing these things? Who do you want to glorify most of all in your life? Do you want your own comfort? Are you more worried about your own reputation and what others will think of you? Are you worried about, well, success and being well-liked and being popular in school or college or in the workplace? Is that why you live? For money, for comfort, for security, for your reputation? Henry Martin, the great missionary, said, I could not endure existence if God were not glorified. And this is what we see here with John the Baptist. By the grace of God, he's understood that the cousin that he grew up with is the Son of God. That he's the Lord God, Yahweh, the Creator, appearing with us in human form. Is this who Jesus is in your heart and in your mind? Is this the one that you worship and praise? Is this the one that you want to glorify? And tell others about. Now there's one twist, isn't there? You don't see it in Mark's gospel, but you see it in John's gospel. As the crowd gathers around John the Baptist and Jesus approaches them, John the Baptist announces to the world who has come. How does he describe him in John chapter 1 verse 29, I think? How does he describe him? Does he say, behold... The Lord. Does he say, Behold the prophesied one? Does he say, Behold the creator? Does he say, Behold the king? Behold the son of God? All of those things would have been true and wonderful and remarkable. But what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is profound. It shows that at this point, John the Baptist understood that the Lord God had appeared in human flesh in order to die for our sake. He understood that the ultimate reason why the Son of God came to this world was to give his life as a sacrifice, to suffer in our place, to take our punishment. And so can I ask you today, is Jesus the Lord God that you worship and praise and the Lamb of God that you trust in for your salvation? Do you know that he came to die on the cross that you might be forgiven, that you might have eternal relationship with God and an everlasting glory? Is this the Jesus that you want to worship in 2023? This is good news, isn't it? Of all the pieces of good news that you will hear in the coming weeks and months, this is the greatest news of all. The Lord has come to die for you. May you praise him and worship him and glorify him and tell others about him in this coming year for your comfort, for your joy, for the joy of this community and for the glory of God.